Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jab. Happy Friday. I really hope you're having a wonderful time. I am having a great time doing this podcast. You know, season five, the team is discovering your purpose. And the people I've invited, they have all discovered their purpose. And it's really beautiful to have them talking to you, talking to the girls in Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya. My heart melts. I know that the girls are listening right now. So girls, hello again and welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. Each time you support I Am The Code, you're elevating young women and girls globally. So don't forget to support I Am The Code. It means a lot to us to have your support, your kindness, your love, your empathy, and your compassion. It really does mean a lot to all of us. I hope that you have received our invitation. Next week, we're going to be celebrating the Day of the Girl. Unfortunately, I can't be in Kenya with the girls right now, but we're going to have three days event where you're absolutely welcome to come and join and listen to the girls. They'll be presenting their solutions. They'll be doing amazing activities virtually. So please join in and we're going to announce some new partnerships as well. So please tune in and join us. You know, over the last five years, we've been traveling worldwide to celebrate the Day of the Girl with marginalized girls all across the world. It's such an important day and I think many people don't know about it, but it's really an important important day and UNICEF and the United Nations they have teams every single year around the day of the girl so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook we're going to be making a lot of announcements next week in 2019 actually we were in Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya where I invited so many many people to come and join me we held the first ever day of the girl in a refugee camp can you imagine really beautiful I had beautiful people like I said with me they were really amazing from Taiwan China Japan, everywhere they came to meet the girls so we can celebrate the day of the girl. You know, at I Am The Code, we are always trying to make sure the girls understand what being a global citizen means. That's why I invited my dear friend, Bushan Shetty, to come and join me on this podcast to talk to the girls, but also to tell us what being a global citizen really means. I was so honored to co-write an article with him recently on how thinking like a global citizen can assure a fairer world. Bushan is a global citizen. I'm sure he will tell you that himself. He's a joint global leader on people and organization at PWC. Really awesome guy. He's very focused on the future of work and creating an empathetic, diverse, and inclusive workplace. I love working with him because we share something in common. The future of work is absolutely something I'm working on right now. We had a great conversation as well on how to balance the productivity and the wellness of remote teams. We're all working from home now, but how do you make sure companies are balancing the wellness of their teams? He is very driven in having a more inclusive and fair society. I really hope you enjoy my conversation. I learned a lot from him. I just like him as a guy. I think he's a top guy. So be inspired and I will see you on the other side. Bushan, how are you? Are you there? Hey, Lady Mary, I'm great to be with you today. I'm excited to engage in this discussion. Absolutely. But let me tell you why we invited you. We always say to our guests why we invited them. I think there are a couple of things you've done. I got really impressed. You and I had the privilege to sit at the World Economic Forum on the reskilling platform. And I think being part of the World Economic Forum is such a daunting process. <laughs> I remember you engaging us and we start having conversation. I was like, who is this guy? I mean, he talks like me. <laughs> I was really impressed by that. And then I think the second thing is when I invited you to 
co-author an article which we will talk about shortly. You were so candid and kind to join me. So this podcast is all about young women and girls growing up in the most marginalized places of the world. So I am so honored to have you, Bushan Shetty. Thank you and welcome to the I Am The Code podcast season five. Thank you. Really delighted to be here. One of the reasons, Lady Mariam, I think that we feel like kindred spirits and on the same agenda is maybe it's being foreigners living around the world. And now I came from London 20 years ago. I now live in New York. You're living in London. And just the being born to immigrant parents from India, seeing some of those struggles growing up in the 70s and 80s in England. And sometimes when I I look at the news, whether it's in the US or in the UK, I feel like I'm back to some of those times with some of the fracturing and the polarization we have on many, many topics around inequality, around kind of racial and just around general intolerance. So I think there's a moment right now in the world where a lot of us from our privileged positions as business people are saying, we've got to make the world a better place and use the privilege that we have. So I look forward to talking about what we're doing there, what I'm doing there, my hopes and aspirations and probably some fears. No, no, absolutely. I know that you and I have so much to talk about. But let me ask you, I know you are in New York right now, but what has the pandemic taught you? I think I've seen so many of your LinkedIn posts and all of that. Do you mind sharing with the girls and boys what has COVID-19 taught you personally? First of all, it's just taught me that life is very fragile. And I kind of knew that. I lost both of my parents in the last 10, 12 years. And I'm very fortunate to have my own children. I think, you know, when you have significant events in your life like that, or living through a global pandemic when things have to change. Before the pandemic, I was traveling around the world carefree, visiting lots of countries, lots of businesses, lots of clients. And it's just taught me that things can change very, very quickly. And it's just that you can't rest on your laurels. You've got to be really grateful for what you have in the moment. And that gratitude now extends to things like health and times with family. So I'm definitely much more grateful for what I have. But I also want to make sure that we focus on health of individuals, health of our families, but also health of our societies, which again, when we're talking about opportunities, economic opportunities for businesses or for people or giving people a chance in companies or volunteering and helping businesses through the pandemic, that I want to be helpful there. So I think it's gratitude. It's the importance of health and the importance of giving back where you can. So where has everything begun for you? Would you mind just telling the boys and girls So like many people from the Indian subcontinent, I grew up in the 1970s, first generation Indian parents, very humble beginnings in North London. My parents were well-educated, but couldn't get the jobs that they were qualified for. We eventually moved out of our, what you call a council flat, a low-income housing in North London into the suburbs when I was five years old in the late 70s just because the schools were better and it was a free public school. And so that's where the life started. I also grew up in a neighborhood where there were very few people like me in my neighborhood. In my school, it was mainly white people. There were not many brown or black faces where I lived in Hertfordshire at the time. And so I experienced, and my family did, a lot of integration and direct racism and direct bullying. And I learned some lessons very quickly around the importance of identity and the sense of family. And I'm very proud to be Indian. I'm very proud to have been educated in England and very proud to 
now live and work in New York. But it definitely taught me a lot about identity and racism of many different forms and that things are not always going to be equal. And it builds a lot of resilience. I can see that. And the other thing I really like about you is that you work hard, right? So as you said, before COVID-19, you were traveling everywhere to position yourself as a leader. And it comes very clearly in your interaction with people that you care about the world and you care about boys and girls who are listening to you right now in the most marginalized places of the world. And I think one of the things you and I had the honor to do together recently is writing an article, actually, which is really, is going on Twitter. Sometimes I go and see it as well about global citizenship. How do you create an inclusive society? Would you mind just telling us, why do you care about this that much? I know you talk about your background, but can you expand on all of the things you're doing? Why do you care so much about identity, inclusion, gender equality that you talk about all the time and productivity and wellness now? I've seen some of your (laughs) articles around wellness. (laughs) Yeah. So just like everyone, there's got to be events that trigger these. So for me, I took a lot of introspection when my parents passed away. I sought out counseling, grief counseling, things I'd never done before. I focused on much more of my own personal health. I've run seven marathons in the last seven years. I didn't run New York last year, but you know, I got into running and things like that because it was a healthy outlet as opposed to other things. So for me, that stuff was important. In terms of citizenship, I think citizenship is a really important word when people kind of think about how do they make sure that society is a better place, whether that's climate, environment, pay equality, picking up litter in their neighborhood, saying good morning to the person who's kind of cleaning the subway, whatever that means, like just being a good citizen and applying that from a global perspective, I think is so important. I live in one of the most diverse cities in the world in New York. And it's naturally multicultural. You've Everyone's got to be a good global citizen there. But what we've seen in many parts of the world with Brexit and country first and a rise to populism is that some people don't agree with this. And you and I have seen this from some of the responses to our article. And we talked about that directly to say, when we talk about citizenship or thinking as a global citizen and saying it's not about optimizing something for the US or New York, it's actually thinking about honorable good supply chains and trade and tariffs and good work and employment for all, because that's the only way the world's going to be a better place. We knew that it would be controversial. And some people would say, no, that feels like socialism. No, we don't trust business people to do that. So it's important to me because I think it's the right thing to do from a sustainability point of view for our great-great-grandchildren in the future. But I'm also conscious, having lived and worked in many different places around the world, that there are a lot of people, back to what we talked about earlier, that would disagree with that entire sentiment and say, you know something, I got to protect my family and I got to protect my community and governments can take care of all the other stuff or well-paid business people that are in a privileged position to be talking on a podcast. But I just think it's super important. So I'm not a health expert. I'm not a full-time academic. I'm a business person who advises on these issues. So for me, it's important to say, how do I advise on these issues in a different forum in this context with younger people? And sometimes the work you and I do together, you know, how do we influence policymakers? Do you use your experience in life, resilience, tenacity, working hard, being a person of color? Do you use your experience to advise the private sector, the government? Do you do that? 
Yeah. So about five years ago, I started joining a task force for the T20, which is a think tank that advises G20 member countries. And I'm part of the Future of Work task force. So in the past, together with colleagues and together with academics and think tanks, we've written papers on things like cyber hygiene and cybersecurity hygiene for vulnerable communities so that people do not respond to phishing emails and then suddenly lose all of their life savings through mobile banking. We've written papers on things like how do governments incent companies to design good jobs, good jobs with fair pay and have disclosure, not just on are we diversifying our workforce, but are we designing jobs where people can learn, people have dignity and people can have fair pay. So whether it's around jobs, skills of the future, policies around cyber, I've tried to be helpful there. And a lot of that has made different policy papers and actions for different governments to go and implement, but also how the business community under the guise of things like stakeholder capitalism, where businesses are now saying we care about government and regulators and community members, as well as our shareholders and our employees and our customers. It's where businesses can say, we can't design products and jobs and enter different markets without thinking about those societal considerations and policymakers. So what I'm trying to do in my consulting work is to say business can't operate in a vacuum whenever it's designing a strategy. It has to think about the policymakers too. One of the articles I love that I was reading and I just shared with all of my team and my stakeholders is the one you wrote for Quartz. And then it was kind of like a piece on productivity. We need a microphone, we need a good chair. It's like, this guy is nice. <laughs> it's a good advice on how do you address productivity challenges. It was really good advice. Why do you think these little things actually help us and business people to be more productive in our work? I think that some words are really misunderstood. And we talk about economic indicators of productivity and let's create more output through less hours or less dollars spent. And you can do that, but it's not sustainable. So whenever I've talked to businesses about productivity, it's not just how many widgets you're creating, how many marketing campaigns you've run, how many loans that you've booked if you're a bank. It's about what is the quality and safety and experience of those customers who have got the loans? Have they been able to buy their first house? Have they been able to invest in their businesses? Is it a quality and sustainable loan? How many hours did you invest in creating those products? And is that sustainable? We know lots of people in COVID have just worked longer hours to get their productivity. So something as simple as people saying, I'm much more productive right now during COVID I sometimes want to push back and say, is it sustainable? Have you embedded safety, quality, and aspects of well-being and learning into that measure? Mm -hmm. And maybe it means we need to produce less, but mm -hmm. produce it in a more safe and sustainable way while encourage people to learn and also do other things outside of their working lives. I really loved the article because it was so powerful to actually read something like that from someone like it's really amazing. But let me ask you, how do you use your time on this earth to serve humanity? I know you're a very kind person. I can see you're very thoughtful. But what do you do to serve humanity? I try and take care of my family and spend time with my kids. And in the same way that my parents kind of explained these concepts are really important in terms of giving back, giving of your finances if you have them, giving of your time and expertise, calling out bad behavior. My wife probably doesn't always like it, but when people are actually saying things that are just 
racist or intolerant or sexist, just calling that out, calling it out, even if it's your family or your friends or your colleagues, we all have a responsibility there. And then giving of my time where I can. So like this, I do a lot of what in the US we would call pro bono reinvest work, whether it's speaking at conferences, advising non-for-profits, advising think tanks and policymakers, all work that we're not directly paid for because it's important for me to invest my time. Pre-COVID, we would do things like go into high schools and teach them about financial literacy. I've done that in the past when I lived in the UK as well. And I just think that stuff's so important, especially from people who have humble beginnings. And I remember mine. And then, then my situation is going to be very different to many of the young boys and girls listening to this in different parts of the world. That's why I love travel so much. The more and more I love traveling and meeting people, not just the people in the five-star hotels, but real people on the street and talking to them and getting to know them. But I think it's all just so important. And it builds so much empathy when you interact with so many people who are different to you. Uh, absolutely. It does come across. But I was reading as well about your articles and the way you approach the world. It looks like you've discovered your purpose. Our season five is discovering your purpose. How did you find your purpose? You know, do you think whatever you're doing right now is at the direction you are leading to? Especially, in my opinion, I think you are making us think better, right? How do we, how can we be more empathetic, more kind, more compassionate, but how can we include people in the work we do? Would you mind just elaborating and let me know if you have, because I would love to understand this a bit about how you discovered your purpose. And that's why I invited you on this podcast, really. Yeah. So I would say it's about opportunity, hard work, and a bit of good old luck. And so having the opportunity to go to good schools, be in a family that encourages education, as many Indian families do at the time, and being able to go to university in the UK, given lots of opportunity. In my first job, I had really good mentors who gave me very candid feedback. It was a very different environment to today where you have to be much more politically correct. But I've had reports that I've written that were thrown back at me because the English was not very business savvy. I've had people explain to me how to speak and how to dress, even in my first job at the age of 21. And so I've had lots of opportunities. I've worked really hard at those things. I spend a voracious amount of time reading, learning, lots and lots of different things. And some of it's just good luck to be around people and a learning environment. I started my career in a retail company in a graduate training program and qualified as an accountant and then moved into different aspects of consulting. And it's never been the same set of consulting. I've done process and technology and people and strategy. And I'm now back to driving kind of people work, but it includes all aspects of strategy and technology. Mm. And so I think my purpose is I like to solve problems and that's a connected tissue, but it wasn't that I kind of woke up and graduated from university and said, I suddenly have a purpose. I think a lot of it was just, you have to learn, you have to be around the right people. You have to work damn hard and you need a bit of luck and opportunity along the way. That's just beautiful. I really hope the boys and girls listening right now can take that on. You talk about your parents who sadly have passed away. Who is the person who have changed your life in all this 
beauty, this abundance you have. And now you, I'm so happy that you are on this earth because at least now you can go and tell all these people <laughs> how to do good. Who has changed your life? And, and you just mentioned about mentoring. Who has really planted this seed of humanity in you? I'd say the power of my parents kind of explained to me that discrimination is real. Mm. One of the first things my father said to me, and again, I don't think you can say this in today's environment, but my father said to me, Bushan, you need to work a lot more harder than the white man in your mm-hmm. work, in your mm-hmm. school, in your workplace, and then you'll only achieve half as much. And it was really important. And I know it doesn't feel right for a lot of people. And probably a lot of my colleagues would look at that and say, that's not appropriate. But it was 1975 or whatever it was, 1980. And it was just mm-hmm. the mindset to say, you got to work damn hard because there are lots of structural issues and different ethnicities still have those structural issues here in the U.S., African-Americans still have those issues. So I think it's just that my parents taught me about working hard, but I've been blessed by having angels along the way in the workplace who have taken me under their wing and coached me, given me opportunities. My children have given me blessings. My wife, my sisters have given me encouragement. And even though my parents are not here, I still think they're looking over me and helping me through difficult times. But I think that the context there, it does come back to find people who are a positive influence and just be around them. And that positive energy, that learning environment will be infectious and try and eliminate kind of bad influences in your life to the extent you can. I do agree. You know, the girls we work with, they're in a refugee camp and I'm so happy that they can have the chance to listen to someone like you. What message do you have, in fact, for the girls and the boys listening right now? They live in Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya, in favelas of Brazil, in the most deprived part of the world. And they want to become global citizens. They're waiting for the world to change their lives, but they don't have any agency or any opportunity. Do you have any advice for the girls listening right now? Yeah. So everything I'm going to say is in the context of if there's an opportunity. So, I mean, the biggest weapon is education. Initially, it will be nutrition, but I don't think a lot of young people can control that. But to the extent you can, I think the nutrition and making sure that you're eating healthy, taking care of yourself, exercising where you can, so, so important at a young age. Like I said, I only got into my fitness kick after I was 40 years old. But the education, and that means just the education around the basics of maths and science and English and technology, obviously now, but education about what's going on in the world. So if you are a refugee that's landing in a part of Europe, or if you're landing in Australia or the US or whatever, really understanding how work gets done there. What's the culture? What do people do coming out of college? How do I get an opportunity to either do something entrepreneurial or get an internship in a big company. But the advice would be try and be good to yourself in terms of health and well-being. Overinvest in the ability to learn. That means access to resources like the internet or good mentors in your life. When people say to you, you cannot do this, look them in the eye and say, yes, I can. And whether that's a young female who wants to be a leader in a team or play football or whether it's right up to kind of running your own company, like that ability to say, yes, I can and back yourself and be super confident is going to be really important. And again, there's going to be all lots and lots of people 
who are going to say, no, that's not what we do. That's not what people from our ethnicity do. I've been called all kinds of things like a coconut. That's not what Indians do. That's not what immigrants do. That's not what girls do. And so I just think that making sure that you pick the things you want to focus on and then go be very dedicated and focused on that and surround yourself with positive mentors and try and forget some of that negativity. The girls don't eat very well, and I'm so happy that you just mentioned about nutrition. So they have one meal a day, they're refugees, and it's been a struggle actually to get them to eat during COVID. So really glad that you said that. But the other thing I've also noticed that you are always pushing for, you're always pushing for gender equality, and you talk about this quite a lot. So do you have any any advice for young women and girls who are looking to get positions in companies where they underlooked and people don't care about them, what do you think they should do to keep going? Yeah, specifically around girls, I think that the education and the confidence is so important. So we've seen all the stats, and this was the same when I was growing up as a kid. Females do better at younger ages in school, in elementary school and high school, but boys just talk more. And we now see that in the workplace. And so I just think that what I'm trying to do with my young daughters is to say, you should be very confident and articulate a point of view. Be research-based, but articulate a point of view, whether it's about same-sex marriage, whether it's about reproductive rights in Texas, whatever the topics are, the role of refugees in society, pay equality. Just be confident in kind of sharing your perspectives. Be comfortable with challenging people in your villages, in your community, sometimes in your own family, because Otherwise, we're not really going to make a breakthrough. And again, you've got to personalize this to what's right for you. But I think the world's giving our young girls permission to be confident and to demonstrate and apply their smarts. And woe betide the gentleman who's not going to give them that opportunity, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a school colleague, whether it's a boss, whether it's a work colleague. And so I think there is a moment, there's a door, but you've got to kind of push it open a little bit. No, I mean, our girls are really, really confident because they really want to become world leaders and global leaders. So it's really fantastic that you mentioned that. And Lady Mariam, on that, to make Mm -hmm. this really personal to you, what would Mm -hmm. you advise your younger self around that? Because I want to make sure it's relevant to to your (laughs) young girls. I mean, what would I say to them is to take their time, right? So when I was growing up in my village in Senegal, I didn't have mentors but also I didn't know how to tell my story, right? So the refugees I work with right now, they are from South Sudan, Burundi, Kinshasa, Afghanistan, so many places. But I tell them just to write and then learn to tell their stories at a very early age and to be confident that things will get better. When I was young, I always thought that every day would be a different day, right? So I, I had this mentality of tomorrow will be a better day. So this is what I tell the girls all the time, but also try to have connections like mentors, be grateful for what you have. So this is what we do at I Am The Code. We really take care of the well-being, their mental health, and we try to advise them to not give up because as you said earlier, there are so many prejudices across the world. People will tell you, you can't do it, but just don't give up. Just carry on. And if I'm here today talking to you via this podcast, it's an amazing journey. <laughs> so 
So that's what yeah. I will tell my younger self. Yeah. And I love the point about connections because the people across the 60 countries or whatever that you referenced, mm-hmm. they could all be different genders. They might be different colors, different religions. But if we look for the commonality amongst those people, mm-hmm. that's what I think will bind this generation to rise up together to say, we all want to be telling our story. We all want to be entrepreneurial and create businesses or create services that the world needs around cleaner air, cleaner water, good products, good services, like whatever it may be. There's so much that we could look at people and say, let's find the commonality amongst us, not all of the obvious visible differences Mm. or the other stuff. Like you have a different political affiliation. You support a different football team. Like that's the problem with the polarization with there's no middle ground for anyone. Everyone's been radicalized. um, And it's got a lot worse in the pandemic because people have been stuck at home with their radical views and looking at their relevant social media and echo chambers. And do you think with COVID-19, we're losing empathy right now? Yeah, this is a contentious topic. I think we massively are losing empathy. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. The reason why I think it's really important for people to be at some point back in the office, not maybe five days a week, Mm -hmm. or even back in schools, when people travel and they take that subway and they go buy that sandwich from the cafeteria and they buy the coffee from someone, Mm -hmm. they're interacting with people that look and are different to them. They go get their shoes shine. They go drop off their dry cleaning. There's all the privileged stuff that we can do Mm -hmm. in London Mm -hmm. and New York and Hong Kong. But that builds empathy. Taking public transport builds empathy. I think so. And just like travel, like everyone says, oh, we're going to travel a lot less. I worry that if we travel less, we've got to travel safely and maybe we won't travel as much on the business side. But if people stop visiting different parts of the world, what are the messages we're sending to our kids? We're just all going to be stuck in the same place. And Mm. you're not going to learn a lot of empathy by just being in the Hamptons and Manhattan. No, <laughs> but also like looking at each other face to face. I mean, the other day I was saying, I don't know how to say hello to people anymore. <laughs> I really have hug, no idea. Do you not hug? Yeah. All of those things. Yeah. Hello. Absolutely. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Sharing social space in a coffee shop, um, sharing space in a crowded train. Yeah. These are patterns of behavior we're going to have to relearn. You're absolutely right. So we need to see each other more. The only thing I was going to ask you about is your love of technology. I know you love technology and you're always talking about productivity, reskilling people, all of that. Our girls that I am the code are learning how to code. So they're coders and we want to give them the skills of tomorrow. So what, what advice would you give to young boys and girls? What skills do they need right now to be able to become authentic global leaders, but at the same time serve humanity? I think one of the biggest skills that people can have is a curiosity. So I remember my grandfather was a diplomat for India and he was stationed in England and many different parts of the world. And when he would come and visit us in England, he would just regale these stories of his time in the Czech Republic or his time in Oman and his time when he met the Queen. And it just gave me a real curiosity and appreciation of the world and travel and It's why I love to travel and it's probably why I love meeting diverse people and living, I think, the most diverse city in the world. And so the curiosity of how things work, whether they be political structures, global structures, technology, coding, science, math, you know, irrigation, whatever it may be, just having a curiosity and then just finding the resources that whether it's internet, smart people, asking good questions, being confident enough to ask questions that's so important as well. But you need to make sure that you have the right environment because 
many times people will ask questions and people say, oh, you should know that, or they'll make them feel stupid. So it's just finding the right environment. And as you become more learned to the younger boys and girls on the call, you become a mentor to other people. I see myself in so many people that I meet, and I remember my 21-year-old self or my 15-year-old self. And so making sure that you're giving back and being that mentor and that helping someone along who you see in your community as well, I think is so important. So I think it's curiosity, the ability to learn, the ability to be comfortable with technology, but also the basics, as you said, of communications and science and maths are so important as well. It's so important. He said, I want to ask you something. You know, I can feel that you are disciplined doing the running and really holding yourself accountable. We have boys and girls right now, as I said, who are living in the most marginalized places of the world. How did you learn to keep yourself disciplined, authentic, say to, to yourself? Can you share that with the boys? Because, I mean, they're growing up and they want to know all of this and they want to discover their purpose, but maybe there are some skills or tools you can give them as we close this podcast. Would you mind sharing with them? Yeah. So I learned that it's really simple. I learned that if I didn't run in the morning or do something like working out, I would be less happy. And if I didn't work out for a couple of days, I would be a little sad. And I know that sounds very shallow, but that's what's important to me. So my advice would be the things that make you happy, whether it's spending time with your grandmother, whether it's reading a book or perfecting English or kind of building a model airplane, like whatever it is, find the things that give you happiness and try and do them every day or every other day. And you'll figure out what those things are. And don't let kind of people get in your way. Like when I was much younger, I used to love listening to shortwave radios from around the world because it would make me feel like I'm traveling to different parts of the world and listen to the radio. Or I would watch English football or cricket or play sports as a kid. And so now I'm an adult and I'm boring and I have to kind of structure it around like running or going to the gym. But just find the thing that gives you happiness and make sure you do it. And then the rest of your day becomes, or your week becomes a little better. Do you think that running can help with the mental health of the girls if they take it on? I think any exercise that mm -hmm. people do, and it can even be something spiritual where people meditate. Like I learned how to do yoga later in life. And my grandfather was doing yoga at the age of like 85. So whether it's running, biking, Football, as in English football, is the great international sport. These are kind of almost free sports. Any physical activity, it just can give you, team sports give you a humility of how to kind of partner with others. Individual sports kind of give you a discipline of kind of getting into stuff and building adrenaline and endorphins. So I would encourage people that if you don't take care of your physical fitness as a young person, it just becomes much harder when you're older. Uh, so they love sport. They love basketball. The refugee camp is very hot, very, very hot. And we just created a recreation park where they can sit. They're planting trees right now. So they're all young climate change activists. But let me ask you just one more question before you go. We just mentioned your younger self earlier. But the other thing I want to ask you, not your younger self, I'm sure you can answer that as well, is 
you remain true to yourself and you really want to change the world. I can feel the passion in you. In the next five to 10 years, 2030, for example, what do you want to see happening with all the advice you're giving to the private sector, government, people like us, the World Economic Forum? Do you have like one or two things that really keeps you awake at night that you want people to take on? Yeah, having daughters, I mean, gender equality and equal opportunity is super important. I would like to see less direct racism because I don't think that you can eliminate it completely, but like the berating of people on social media just because they're black and they miss a penalty when they play for England is just, you know, abhorrent. And that so kind of yeah, the elimination of some of that kind of direct racism. Mm. And there's a role that government and law enforcement and tech firms have in that as well. So gender opportunity, kind of direct racism, and then more hopeful mm-hmm. is the climate agenda, whether it's emissions or global warming. I would just like to see firms pay less lip service and whether mm. it's through G20, COP, firms, disclosures around ESG requirements. I'd like to see kind of the emissions piece and everyone's claiming what they're going to do by 2050, that to be moving in the right direction. Because if it's not, then a lot of this becomes academic when we're talking about the future world that our great, great grandchildren will um, will inherit. Would we see you back to London? Because we need your voice here. <laughs> I'd love to. When we start traveling again, I'll definitely come back. I've still got two sisters who live in the UK and nephews and nieces that I look forward to seeing. And then post how I want to be helpful going forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not always going to be a business person working, but as I get older and maybe in retirement, I still want to be active around these topics, whether it's mm. influencing policymakers on whatever side of the pond, I'm still a British citizen mm-hmm. or whatever it may be in think tanks or academics. I, I really want to kind of focus on these topics, even in retirement, which isn't coming anytime soon, but I think it's a real responsibility. And I've seen that with some of my colleagues who've retired that they carry on being really active around things that are important to them. And I think, again, that's the responsible role of a good business leader who's been fortunate to have the life that we have. I think it will be really amazing to see you talk to boys and girls as a professor somewhere across the world, because I think we, me personally, I really love listening to the work you do. And I think that there's so many opportunities for people to, the boys and girls, especially the next generation, to really hear this important information. Is it anything else that you feel from in your heart that these young girls who are living hard life, they're right now sitting in their classes listening to you. Any advice, any last word do you have for these young people listening to you right now? I would just say try and find people who you're inspired by and can learn from in your family, in your village, in your community, online, and just Be hopeful of the future. There are so many things that we all can look at and be fixated and upset around, Mm -hmm. but just try and be hopeful that we will see the gender equity issue resolved to some degree. We will see a world that's much more diverse and kind of the direct prejudice based on race isn't going to be as much of an issue. I would just, any time in my life when I've struggled with things, I know that if I take a very positive position on it, 
things do look better because inevitably there's going to be setbacks in everyone's lives. But I just try and continue to be hopeful and confident for a better future. Well, I mean, you and I can talk until tomorrow, but you definitely <laughs> have inspired the boys and the girls, Busha and Shetty. Thank you so much for all you do for the world. And I'm so glad you discovered your purpose. And thank you for the time you have offered me this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Girls and boys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like I said, I really like working with Bushan. He's an amazing guy, you know, and he's really, really smart and intelligent. I love working with him. We both share the desire to having a fairer world for everyone, as I said earlier. We served together at the World Economic Forum, where I genuinely enjoy working with him and writing articles together. You know, one of the things I've learned this week is that when we give young women and girls the chance to learn, to have access to digital skills and tools, they will deliver a more equitable, healthier, and prosperous community. I really do mean this, so make sure you support the I Am The Code girls. I also want to let you know that you know what? It's also important for you to take care of yourself. Remember to be kind to others. We had a tough 2020, I'm sure you know that by now. But remember to be kind to others and do not forget to be kind to yourself because at the end of the day, you will have a lot of challenges and adversity and most of you know my life, I lived in adversity all the time, but I'm not a victim. And what I'm trying to do is now to open people's minds and heart so they can become better human beings. You've been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. Don't forget to subscribe to the I Am The Code podcast. You know, listen wherever you are listening your podcast from. We really need your support. We are a very small team at I Am The Code, but absolutely dedicated to making the world a better place by creating inspiring content like this and inviting beautiful human beings like Bushan to come and share their life journeys with us. We want to make sure people do better and be better through our podcast. Remember to donate to I Am The Code. We are still a foundation. If you have something to spare, please donate to I Am The Code. Every amount counts and then your support will help us get the girls going. You know what? Go out there and go and discover your purpose. Make a difference. Don't be afraid. Sometimes we are just so scared, but go out there and make a difference. I want to thank you again so much for being here. Thank you for your support. Thank you for all you do for I Am The Code. I will see you next week. Thank you and goodbye.